Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 35, 36 and 37 of Insurgent. So where we left off... God, what really happened? Okay, so Janine was doing some tests on Triss to figure out, I don't know, how her divergence works or some bullshit. And then Triss was just like, God, I can't wait to be executed. She was like, I cannot wait. Because she thinks as soon as she dies, that'll bring her closer to her parents because they also died. And I mean, you can be close to your parents in other ways, but yeah, all right. So we start chapter 35 with her knowing that she's about to get executed that day. So she's putting on the clothes that she's been given to get executed in. And she says, it's not time yet. I find myself lacing my fingers together and bowing my head. So she knows (laughs) that it's not time yet, even though she doesn't have a watch famously. She knows that it's not time yet. Whatever. Then Peter comes in and he's like, okay, it is time to go actually. So he's coming in hot and contradicting her. She just told us it's not time yet. And he says, well, actually scratch that. It is time. Let's go. And so they leave and down the hallway, she's about to walk past Tobias's cell. All these hallways. And they've put the two prisoners that are star-crossed lovers practically in the cell next to each other. Not a lot of forethought there from the erudite. Doesn't seem super logical to let that happen, especially because there was like a previous escape attempt. I know Four told us, I'm not actually escaping. I'm just trying to find the control room. And he finds the control room with the sign on it saying control room. So you'd think after, after that incident, you'd maybe separate them, at least put them in opposite hallways. Maybe on a different level from each other. Although now that I'm thinking about it, was that scene real or was that a simulation? We never really got any clarity on that. It was sort of presented to us as if it was real, but it's just so ridiculous that he just crammed himself in that supply closet and then shoved a chair underneath a doorknob to try and stop the dauntless trader guards from breaking in. I mean, maybe it was a simulation because it makes no sense. Anyway, they're about to cross paths and Tobias is like, I want to see her. I want to see her. And Peter's like, oh God, fine. There's a window through the door. Why don't you just like look into the window and say hi to him? Peter's like, this is cringe. So they do that thing where they press palms together through the wall, super romantic. And his face appears and she says, his eyes are red, his face blotchy, handsome. Okay. I don't know if that's the traditional version of being handsome, saying that they've got a blotchy face and red eyes. 
So they have a little moment through the window and then Peter's like, all right, let's go. And she says, thanks, Pete. And he goes, whatever, come on, let's go. I've got to kill you. Hurry up. So she gets to the room that's going to be her execution chamber. There's dauntless traders in the hallway. There's an erudite crowd in the execution room, but they've all made a path for her. And so they study her as she goes to the table. And Janine's there and she's just got makeup trying to cover up the scratches on her face, but Tris can still see the scratches from when she scratched her. So she's like satisfied about that. And so then she hops on the table and she thinks, oh yeah, this is where my body will be when life leaves it. My body will become cold and heavy, heavier than I've ever been. And I related to that because I'm smashing those Easter eggs. It's not even Easter yet and I'm smashing them. And I'm just thinking to myself, my body is going to be heavier than it's ever been. And then she says, as for the rest of being, I'm not sure. Some people believe that I will go nowhere and maybe they're right, but maybe they're not. So she's, she's talking about the afterlife. And then she says, such speculations are no longer useful to me anyway. Correct me if I'm wrong, but do we not just have like chapters on chapters of her discussing the afterlife and looking forward to the afterlife? And now she's like, it's none of my business. I don't need to speculate what's going to happen because it's going to happen anyway. Just ignoring the fact that she did speculate for a long time. So then Peter's attaching electrodes to a heart rate monitor or whatever. I don't know. He's, he's attaching wires. And then she thinks, wait a minute. I don't want to die. And I'm like, oh God, Christ almighty. (sighs) Again, she'd been telling us for chapters that she can't wait to die. She offered herself up to erudite so that she would be killed. But now the pennies dropped and she's like, no, actually I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I'd like to keep living, please. And she's thinking like, oh, I should have listened to Tobias when he told me not to risk my life. (laughs) Funny how perspectives change. Then she goes, you know what? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to. And then Janine steps forward. Oh, and get this. She's got a syringe full of purple serum. So many serums. So Janine, no qualms about the execution. She just shoots her up with that purple serum. Right in the neck again. Why the neck? I'm not too familiar with executions. We don't really have them in Australia, but I think I've seen a a few like movies and shit about lethal injections. And I feel like it's done through like an IV drip or like through some sort of cannula or whatever that thing is on the wrist. I don't think people are shooting up necks for an execution. That just seems a step too far. So then Pete leans down and he says, the serum will go into effect in one minute. Be brave, Triss. And she thinks, that's weird. (laughs) She's, She's dying, but she thinks, that's weird. Why would Peter tell me to be brave? Why would he offer any kind words at all? And I'm like, oh, here we go. Peter is the man on the inside. You know how Four said there was someone on the inside giving them information about the execution? Now, I'm not sure. If that person is the same person, you know how last week I was like, maybe Caleb's not all that bad. Well, turns out Caleb might actually be that bad. But that little line is our hint that Peter might be doing a double cross on the erudite because like, she's not gonna die. She's our protagonist. There's still like 10 chapters left. I think we're good. But she ends this chapter saying her body relaxes. There's a heavy liquid feeling in her limbs. Her head drops, she can't close her eyes, she can't move, then her heart monitor stops beeping, end of chapter. And I'm like, oh no, she's dead. Clearly she's not fucking dead. And then we go to chapter 36 and she says, 
I'm still breathing. So we had that suspense for all of one microsecond. And Janine saying, take my body to the lab. And Peter's pushing her eyelids over her eyes as if she's dead. And she's like, Peter must know that I'm not dead, right? And I'm like, catch up, babe. We figured out that Peter's on the inside track. He's doing the dirty double cross. Janine says, take the body to the lab. The autopsy is scheduled for this afternoon. She just killed her, so I don't know why she needs an autopsy. I guess that's just the erudite in her, just always wanting to do more tests. But I think, I think you know the cause of death, Janine. I think you do. You stabbed her in the neck with a syringe, like, hello. So then she's like, what's going on? And Peter's carrying her out. And it's very like the end of the Battle of Hogwarts when Hagrid's carrying Harry, who's pretending to be dead. Meanwhile, how silly was that? How silly was that? Like when I watched the movies not that long ago, I think in one of the lockdowns, I said, all right, I'm going to binge all eight movies. Let's do it. And so at the end, Voldemort's making this huge, big fucking speech. Neville's standing up to Voldemort inexplicably. And Voldemort's pretty much saying like, okay, Neville, uh, I'm going to kill you in like three minutes. And Harry's just like pretending, pretending to be dead. And I'm like, could you not maybe wake up a bit sooner, Harry? Like, I know you're awake, dude. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for your cue? And everyone's making fun of Neville. All the Death Eaters are yucking it up, being like, haha, your parents are in St. Mungo's hospital. And Bellatrix is laughing her head off. And I'm like, okay, Harry, now's the time to speak up, dude. God, I never understood that. I never understood it. Because then he just says, actually, I'm awake. I'm not dead. And then he just like falls out of Hagrid's arms anyway. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's the big reveal we waited for, Harry. That's the big reveal. Anyway, what am I talking about? So yeah, so her pretending to be dead. Okay, so she's obviously been paralyzed. So maybe she's not pretending to be dead like Harry was. But it's the same vibes. Okay. So Peter's wheeling her down a corridor, sprinting, and then he stops and he like scoops her up. So he's carrying her and he's like, ugh, for someone so small, you're heavy, stiff. And she's like, oh, wow, he knows that I'm awake. That's weird. And no, it's not weird. He saved your life, doll. And so then he goes into Tobias's cell and Tobias is like, what are you? Oh, oh my God. Oh, what? And so Peter says, spare me a blubbering, dude. She's not dead. She's just paralyzed. It will only last for about a minute. Now get ready to run. Okay, so maybe, maybe there is still another man on the inside. Maybe Caleb is still leaking stuff to the abnegation slash dauntless slash factionless, perhaps because Four's not like, oh, hey, Pete, you're that guy that I was talking to about our plan earlier. I don't know. I think maybe they would have talked to each other differently if the jig was up. I don't know. I'm I'm sensing there's a second man on the inside. That's my suspicion. Anyway, Peter then gives Tobias his gun and says, you're a better shot. I'll carry Triss and let's get the hell out of here. So then they're running down the hallway, 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 hallway. There's bangs, there's shouts, lots going on. And then she's starting to get like feeling back in her fingers and tingling down her spine, etc. And then they go to this other room, which is like a trash room. And there's a big garbage chute. And the plan is <laughs> that they're going to escape through the garbage chute into an incinerator, but Peter turned the incinerator off. He says, this is the trash incinerator, but don't worry, I turned it off. It'll take us to the alley. 
Okay, I'd be wanting to double check that you did turn the incinerator off. I think that's something that I'd really just want a bit more assurance on. And so while they're getting prepared to dumpster dive, Tobias says, hey, Triss. And she goes, "Uh uh-uh, Beatrice. And he goes, oh, okay, Beatrice. So now we're calling her Beatrice. Where the hell did this come from? So she wants to be known as Beatrice all of a sudden. Why now are we clarifying that? You're about to jump into an hopefully turned off incinerator and you've just died and come back to life. You're getting reunited with your boyfriend as you're about to escape certain death. And you're like, you know what? Actually, I'd just like to take this moment in time to clarify my name. I'm no longer going by my nickname. And I'd just like you to respect that. And may we also go over pronouns while we're at it. So Tris slides down the (laughs) trash chute and she lands on a cement floor all the way down the chute. She's knocking her sore arm. (laughs) She's... (laughs) Does not sound fun. She's getting knocked about and then she's landing on a hard cement floor. (laughs) And she's like, oh God, that hurts. And then the boys follow suit and they both crash into the cement floor as well. Like Peter had this huge plan. He somehow got out of executing Triss, turned the incinerator off. You couldn't have laid down a mattress. So they all crash land into the incinerator and Pete says, don't say I never take you anywhere nice. And Triss says, wouldn't dream of it. So that's some out of place banter that I wasn't expecting. And she's just thinking, well, I should be dead right now, but instead I'm alive. And it's all because of Peter, Peter of all people. And so then Pete says to Tobias, hey, you've still got that gun, right? And Tobias says, no, I figured I would shoot the bullets out of my nostrils. So I left it upstairs. And Peter says, oh, shut up. Again, where is this dialogue coming from? They're acting like Iron Man and Captain America swapping quips while they're in the middle of a a fight scene. So then they're out of the garbage room. They get out of Erudite HQ and they're in the alleyway trying to find an escape out of the Erudite compound area. And so then Tobias, while they're running down alleyways, he says, take the least logical route. Oh my God. And Peter says, what? And Tobias says, the least logical route, so they won't find us, of course. Of course, the smartest faction, so easy to outsmart if you just perform actions that are dumb. Even though I'm sure the erudite people chasing after you will expect you guys to be dumber than they are, but okay, yep, let's take the least logical route. It's a flawless, foolproof plan. So they start running down some other slum alley. I know it's a slum alley because there's cardboard boxes containing blankets and pillows. She says they're old factionless dwellings. And she says she just like crashes through one of the boxes and kicks it behind her. So, I mean, if that is someone's home, that's a bit rude. So they're running, running, running. And then she says, wait a minute. The least logical thing to do is to stop running. And so, and so they stop running. (laughs) They just stop escaping because they think that's the least logical thing to do and that they should do the least logical thing. What, what, what is this book? So they find an abandoned building and the door's locked. So Tobias fires at the window next to it until it breaks so that he can then unlock the door from the inside. How that's not going to tip someone off to where they are. I mean, so... (laughs) And apparently it's the only window in all of Chicago that's still intact after what's been happening over the past however many years of societal collapse. But okay, okay. so they're in this abandoned building 
And so they're sitting down, they're trying to catch their breaths. And she's like, wow, Peter of all people. I'm not dead because of Peter. It's like, yes, okay, we get that. And so she's staring at Peter being like, what's his game plan? What's he doing? And he says, why are you looking at me? And she says, how did you do it? And he goes, well, it wasn't that hard, actually. <laughs> Listen to this. I dyed a paralytic serum purple and switched it out with the death serum. Okay, a death serum and a paralyzer serum. I mean, there's just a serum for everything. And then he replaced a wire that was supposed to read her heartbeat with a dead one. Blah, blah, blah. And she says, yeah, but why did you do it? You want me dead. You were willing to do it yourself. What changed? And listen to this. He says, I can't be in anyone's debt. The idea that I owed you something made me sick. I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling like I was going to vomit. Indebted to a stiff. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And I couldn't have it. What? What is this character. I mean, he stabbed someone in the eye because they were doing better than him at school. He was going to throw Triss into the chasm, murder her to beat her at school. And then while they're escaping the Amity compound, she saves his life just, just offhandedly. And now all of a sudden he's, he's indebted to her. He says, at the Amity compound, someone shot at me. It would have hit me right between the eyes, but you shoved me out of the way. We were even before that. I almost killed you during initiation. You almost killed me during the attack simulation. So we were square, but now we weren't square. And he says, I don't know what world you guys live in, but in mine, people only do things for you for one of two reasons. The first is if they want something in return. And the second is if they feel like they owe you something. So, so you save a life because of that even though it goes against every other aspect of your character and it's putting your your life at even more risk. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
well, I'm not buying that at all. I'm not buying it. And also, it does confirm my theory, or it does support my theory, that there's another man on the inside over at Erudite HQ. I'm holding out hope that Caleb's not a downright asshole, but um, I might be holding on to that hope for a while. And so Tobias, he goes, well, I guess we'll just have to make sure you owe us or you'll go running to whoever offers you the best deal. And Peter says, yeah, that's pretty much how it is. But like, okay, so you're even now. You're even. There's no reason for Peter to still be with them. I guess now he's just betrayed Erida. (laughs) This wild change in characterization for Peter is just like the biggest plot armor I've ever seen, just protecting Triss. People will act out of character to stop her from dying. Uh, uh, It's ridiculous. And also like, now what are they going to do? They're just going to go back to Dauntless or back to the Factionless and just hang out. Like Janine can still take over the Dauntless people that were shot up with the serum. That's the reason Triss went to Erudite in the first place to stop that from happening again. Well, now Janine can just do it. So unless they're activating that plan to come back and destroy the control rooms and get the data, then this is all pointless. And uh, she could have died. Triss could have died. I wouldn't have cared. And yeah, Tobias says, all right, well, let's go to the abnegation sector after a couple of hours waiting here. That's where the factionless and the dauntless who aren't wired for simulations will be by now. So they're just going to ignore the rest of the dauntless who are wired for simulations. So then they're walking around abnegation and she sees people who she's walking past staring at her, giving her the eye. And she says, as far as they knew, and I'm sure they knew because Janine knows how to spread news. I died less than six hours ago. And so she thinks everyone's looking at her being like, oh my God, isn't she meant to be dead? And like, yeah, okay. I get that Janine knows how to spread news, but also Janine should have discovered that you haven't showed up for your autopsy yet. So I think, I think Janine at least knows that you've escaped, right? And so then Uriah, he's there and so is Christina and they come over and they're like, oh, hey, Tris. <laughs> and Uriah goes to hug her, but Tobias is like, yeah, not right now. She's been through a lot. And Uriah's like, okay, fuck me. Like I was just trying to say hi, but all right. So he walks off. But Christina, she reaches out and squeezes Tris's shoulder lightly. It might be the shoulder that was shot. So maybe Christina's still mad at her. (laughs) So everyone's still looking at her. And then Tobias walks her into his old home. And I thought Tobias just said to Uriah, hey, back off. She's had a big day. She needs to rest. But he's just taken her to a house full of people. There's Tori, there's Harrison, there's Evelyn all standing around in the kitchen. There's a potluck social going on. And she's like, oh, hi, everybody. And Tobias and Evelyn, they have a little hug, a little catch up. That's his mum, by the way. And so then he takes her up to his old bedroom. And Tobias says, Marcus didn't go into this room after I left, I'm pretty sure, because nothing was moved when I came back. And she says, members of Abnegation don't own many decorations since they are viewed as self-indulgent. Of course they fucking are. But what few things we are allowed, he has. A stack of school papers, a small bookshelf, and strangely, a sculpture made of blue glass on his dresser. Okay, well, that sounds like a decoration to me. You're telling me that Abnegation don't have decorations, and then you're describing all of these decorations, including some la da blue glass. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he says, my mother smuggled that la da blue glass to me when I was young. 
She told me to hide it. Why would she? The day of the ceremony, I put it on my dresser before I left so he would see it. A small act of defiance. Okay, well, it might not have worked because I also get the impression because of what you just told me that Marcus didn't go into that room after you left. So you left this decorative item as a fuck you to your dad, but it didn't work because he never saw it. Okay, okay, that was a fun little sidebar. Meanwhile, Triss was barefoot throughout that whole escape from Erudite. So she's got glass, shards of glass in her feet. And she just has to stand there while he's talking about this bloody hand-me-down blue glass that his mum gave him. I mean, and so she's like, oh yeah, that's great. And he's like, oh yeah, better, better clean your feet now. And so then he takes her to the bathroom and pulls out the glass from her feet and like gives her a little pedicure. And so after she gets the petty, she says, my family's all dead or traitors. How can I? And he says, don't worry about it, babe. I'll be your family now. She says, oh God, I love you. And he says, say it again. And she, okay. And she says, Tobias, I love you. And then he kisses her. And then he says, I love you too. And that's the end of that chapter. So then we go to chapter 37. And she says, they're lying in bed. She falls asleep. She expects to have nightmares, but she must be too tired. And when she opens her eyes, he's out of the bed, but there's a stack of clothes on her, on the bed beside her. Like, oh, okay, who gives a shit? So then she gets up, she goes to the bathroom. Oh my God, we're getting the full, the full morning routine, aren't we? Oy, oy, oy. Um, she, oh, she doesn't turn the lights on in the bathroom because she knows they'll be too bright. So she showers in the dark. She says, barely able to tell soap from conditioner. Okay. The full morning ritual. <laughs> Hey guys, here's my morning skincare routine. A lot of you have asked me about what products I use. So um, I'm doing my face up in the dark. So I actually don't know what the products are. Um, I just use soap. I use what I think is conditioner, but as I said, I'm in the dark, so I don't know. Um, And that's it guys, that's my morning routine. And then she says, before I leave the bathroom, I pinch my cheeks hard to bring blood to the surface of my skin. What? It's stupid, but I don't want to look weak and exhausted in front of everyone. Okay, how she did that in the mirror in the dark, I don't know. Oh, well, there would not be a mirror, actually, because it's abnegation, so I don't know. All right, she's pinching her cheeks, great. So then she goes back into Tobias's bedroom, and Uriah, he's sprawled across the bed, and Christina's there holding the blue sculpture, examining it. The priceless blue la-di-da sculpture. Oh, and there's Lynn. Lynn's there too. They all crammed into the bedroom without her knowing while she was in the adjoining bathroom. And then Lynn says, ah, Tris, did you get smacked? One of your cheeks is bright red. (laughs) Tris got called out almost immediately because of that little pinching of the cheeks trick. (laughs) And she goes, I must not have pinched the other one hard enough. She's like, whoopsie. And she says, no, I haven't been smacked. It's just my morning glow. (laughs) I just did my morning ritual routine. So then they just all catch up on what happened, how she almost died. Pete saved her. And then Christina says, there's food downstairs. Tobias made scrambled eggs, which as it turns out is a disgusting food. And Tris says, hey, I like scrambled eggs. What? Like she's got to defend scrambled eggs for some reason. And then Christina says, must be a stiff breakfast then. What? Well, so, so, so Christina's just never had scrambled eggs before. Well, oh, uh, where is the food coming from? 
I was led to believe everyone was on rations. The whole reason Janine got everyone to hate abnegation was because of a rumour that they were hoarding nice food. And yet it turns out that the candor don't even know what scrambled eggs is. Like none of it, none of it's connecting. Ugh. So she goes down into the living room. There's five people crowded onto a three person couch playing a game of cards. There's a man in an armchair with a woman on his lap and someone else perched on the arm of the armchair with a can of soup in hand. There's eggs in the can of soup, by the way. And Tobias is sitting on the floor. So that's what, like eight people. And plus, plus the four coming in from downstairs. This is a packed party. This is a Triss isn't dead celebratory event. So she's looking at Tobias and he looks all relaxed and comfortable. She says, I have never seen him look so comfortable without a gun. I didn't think it was possible. I get the same sinking feeling in my stomach that I always get when I know I've been lied to, but I don't know who it was that lied to me this time or about what exactly. So I don't know what she's trying to make us suspicious of there, but like my mind goes to her being like, oh, I know when I'm being lied to. And I'm like, okay, so you're candor all of a sudden. I thought you only had aptitude for erudite, abnegation and dauntless, but all of a sudden you're candor and you can spot a liar. And also your boyfriend's just sitting relaxed on a living room floor, eating scrambled eggs out of a can of soup. Like, I, I, I think you can relax and not accuse him of lying to you about something right now. This is just one of Veronica Roth's famous little bits of foreshadowing that she thinks is subtle, but it's not subtle. So Evelyn, she says, oh, everyone, this is Tris Pryor. I believe you may have heard a lot about her yesterday. And Tobias is like, yeah, and this is Christina, Uriah and Lynn, you know, the crew. And someone says, aren't you supposed to be dead? And she's like, supposed to be. (laughs) I just don't know how word got around so fast. So then they all start passing around the scrambled eggs. She says she passed the eggs to Christina at one point. We don't hear Christina uh, eating the eggs. Let's just assume she's still on hunger strike because she hates scrambled eggs. And so Tris says, why is everyone camped out in Marcus's house? And Tobias says, Evelyn kicked him out, said it was her house too, and he'd gotten to use it for years and it was her turn. It caused a huge blow up on the front lawn, but eventually Evelyn won. Okay, so she got, she got the house in the separation, although it wasn't a separation, she faked her death. I'm not a lawyer, but I suspect that when it comes to the division of assets, it's a moot point when one of the partners has faked a death. I don't think you lay claim to things if you faked a death, but oh, no, okay, she's taken control of the house because it was her turn to use the house. And so Evelyn, she's having a deep and meaningful conversation with Peter and Tobias whispers to Tris saying, oh, I think she's trying to recruit him. She has a way of making the factionless life sound extraordinarily appealing. And Tris says, Anything to get him out of Dauntless, I don't care if he saved my life, I still don't like him. And Tobias says, well, hopefully we won't have to worry about faction distinctions anymore by the time this is all over. It'll be nice, I think. And Tris is thinking, fat fucking chance, the faction system's gonna be around forever. And then the front door opens and Edward enters. And here's where I was like, oh God, I'm getting a bit bored of this chapter. I'm getting a bit bored. But then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Peter stabbed Edward in the eye. And this is the first time they're meeting since that inciting incident. So it's going to be juicy, right? So Edward, he storms up to Peter. He looks like he's about to punch him in the face. And then Peter like throws himself back against the wall. And Edward says, not so brave in broad daylight. 
And then he says to Evelyn, make sure you don't give him any utensils. Never know what he might do with them. I, I, mean, uh, I would have just been like, hey, cunt, you stabbed me in the eye. I'd like to have a word with you outside. I wouldn't make a joke about not giving him any utensils. And like, it's scrambled eggs eaten out of a can. I don't think there'd be a knife around for that anyway. It'd be a spoon or fork at best, perhaps even a spork. But I doubt it. a knife is getting used for scrambled eggs in a can. And so then Peter, he stops, you know, with the funny little jokes about utensils and he slams a hand against Peter's throat. Oh, and, and Edward has a fork. Again, I would have gone for a knife, but Edward has a fork and he's got it up against Peter's throat. And he says, keep your mouth shut around me or I will do this again. Only next time I'll shove it right through your esophagus. Okay. Or you could have just done it. I mean, I, I would want revenge. You're a better man than me, Edward, because I wouldn't be given no warnings to shitty little Peter. Peter lives in a quid pro quo world. He'd understand an eye for an eye. Literally, he he would understand that. He pretty much just said that was his life's motto to Triss and Four. So yeah, he would get it and I would would cut out his eye. With a spork, perhaps. I'd just scoop it on out. Anyway, okay, where are we? Where are we? Um, So Evelyn's like, back off, Ed. And Tobias says to Triss, I don't know if you know this, but Edward is a little unstable. And Triss is like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of figured that out. And also, like, of course he is. He got stabbed in the eye, got turned into a factionless, etc. And Tobias says, that Drew guy who helped Peter perform that butter knife maneuver, apparently when he got kicked out of Dauntless, he tried to join the same group of factionless Edward was part of. Notice that you haven't seen Drew anywhere. Edward nearly killed him. Evidently, that's why the other transfer, Myra, she left Edward because she was too gentle to bear it. Okay, I forgot all about these characters. Thanks for spilling the tea, Tobias, but like too much time has passed. I no longer care about Drew or Myra if I ever did. And so then Tobias says, is it hard for you to be in an abnegation house? And Tris, I'm sorry, Beatrice, Beatrice is like, yeah, but not as hard as you might think. The simulations in Erudite headquarters helped me somehow to hold on maybe, or maybe not. Maybe they helped me to stop holding on so tightly. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I don't know what the fuck that meant. And I don't even think Tobias has figured out what the hell she's talking about. Tobias is just like, oh, okay. Sorry I asked. Thanks for that rambling response. So then they kiss. One of the factionless makes a joke about them kissing and everyone laughs, blah, blah, blah. And so then she says the sun is beginning to set. The Dauntless and the Factionless are wandering the streets, some with bottles in their hands, some with guns in their hands. And so then Zeke comes past pushing Shauna in a wheelchair. So everyone's around. I don't know who's left in Dauntless because everyone's in abdication, apparently. So Zeke's pushing the wheelchair up the road and then jumping on it and they're they're rolling down the road together and it's it's a fun time. And Tris just walks right past them. She says, I'm not engaging in any of those shenanigans. So she's walking up to the abnegation headquarters building. So she goes in, she sits at her family bench. I guess each family in abnegation have a particular bench that they sit on. So she sits there and then Marcus walks in and he sits across from her and he says, hey, how you going? (laughs) Pretty much. And Tris is like, what are you doing here? 
And he says, I saw you come in and I want to have a word with you about the information that Janine Matthews stole. This again. Oh, Lord. Again. A fucking again. Nothing new. Nothing changed. Same old shit. Same old fucking shit. And Tris is like, I already know what it is. Don't waste your time. And he says, no, you don't. Because if you did know what it was, you'd be acting really differently right now. And she's like, well, I don't care what it is because my mum died for it. Blah, blah, fucking blah. How many times do we need to have conversations between Tris and Marcus in this book? This is at least the fourth time, maybe? There was that time at the water treatment plant in Amity, which feels like years ago. There was the time after Tobias knocked him in the face in the bathrooms at Kanda. And now there's this time. So it's at least the third time that they're having a chat about what data was on the simulation USB drive, whatever the fuck they're talking about. Honestly, it's beyond me at this point. It's all about what did Amnegation know? What information did they know that they were going to release before Dauntless, before Erudite attacked them? Ugh, ugh, just out with it, Marcus. Just out with it already. And Tris says, ugh, I know it's something to do with the Divergent. I know the information is about what's outside of the fence. And Marcus is like, yeah, well, do you even know what's outside of the fence? And she goes, no, are you going to tell me? And he's like, nah. (laughs) So it's a pointless conversation as all of their conversations have been. The only real little nugget of information is that Marcus says a week before the simulation attack, the abnegation leaders decided it was time to reveal the information to everyone in the whole city. They were planning to reveal it seven days after the simulation attack, but by then they weren't able to. So, so they, they said, hey, let's reveal this information, but let's not do it for another two weeks. Why so slow abnegation? You should have just uh, hot footed it and fucking gotten it out there. Like, what? it's your own damn fault you got attacked, if you ask me, sitting on juicy information about what's outside of the fence for two weeks. And Marcus says, we are not from here, Beatrice. We were all placed here for a specific purpose. A while ago, the abnegation were forced to enlist the help of Erudite in order to achieve that purpose, but eventually everything went awry because of Janine, because she doesn't want to do what we are supposed to do. She would rather resort to murder. And Triss is like, hmm, that's, that's actually quite an interesting little piece of information there, Marcus. She's thinking, placed here? What's all that about? And Marcus is like, I've told you enough. <laughs> God. God, my kingdom for a follow-up question. Like, come on. So she thinks, suddenly I understand the problem. The factionless plan to destroy all of the data that the Erudite have. They will level everything, but they could build back from that because the Erudite still know the information, they just won't have their data. But this other piece of information might destroy everything more than that so that they can't replicate it. I don't We're getting bogged down in the weeds here, aren't we? (laughs) I don't know what's going on. And so then Marcus, he's trying to convince Triss to, I guess, betray the factionless, dauntless alliance, I'm guessing. So he says, your parents died for you. It's true. But the reason your mother was in abnegation headquarters that night you were almost executed, (laughs) God, so wordy, was not to save you. She didn't know you were there. She was trying to rescue the file from Janine. Again, why is there just one file? Have they not backed up to the cloud? Like, oh my God. And so then she heard that Triss was about to die in the headquarters. So she rushed to save her and abandoned the file, left the file in Janine's hands. 
How ridiculous. How she heard on the grapevine that Triss was in, in a water tank about to drown. Like, oh my goodness. Were people just wandering the hallways, just being like, oh, Triss is getting executed right now. And she was like, what was that? And she's like, oh, I must go save my daughter. Like, how did she just find out randomly? Never mind. Marcus says, the point is your mum was willing to die for this file, this file. So it's not even on a hard drive or anything now. It's, it's what, a, a, in a manila folder? It's printed out pieces of paper in a folder. Is that what we're fighting for? Um, I am lost, you guys. I am lost. I might have to go into the wiki and read what the fuck's going on. I might have to watch the movie and come back to the next few chapters because none of it is tracking for me. Anyway, but she's like convinced now because she's like, the abnegation, they die for people. They love sacrificing themselves for people, but they never do that for things. So if Marcus is telling the truth and that her mother was really willing to die for a thing, for information, then it must be real. And I'm like, what? Or Marcus could be gaslighting you. He could be lying to your face. Oh my God. And she says, you're trying to manipulate me, aren't you? And he goes, I suppose that is something you must decide for yourself. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh my God, spare me. Spare me. What the hell is going on? So I think we're setting up Tris trying to do a double cross on the on the four alliance or something and getting the file off of Janine, a file. We've gone from hard drives to hard copy pieces of paper. I can't, I can't fathom it. So if you guys can explain it to me, let me know. And then I'll see you guys next week for hopefully some more fucking answers. All right, bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.